You've just tuned into Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Welcome back to Beyond Your Past. I'm your host, Matt Pappas, certified life coach specializing in overcoming anxiety and trauma recovery. And this podcast is all about helping you move forward from what holds you back. Each week, you'll hear from coaches, clinicians, and advocates who've overcome tremendous odds and are now using their journey to inspire you throughout yours. This is your place to feel validated and encouraged as you take your life back and live free from your past. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, greetings to you, my friend, and thanks so much for taking some time out of your day to tune into the show, and I hope that this episode inspires and encourages you on your own journey. Special welcome if you're listening to the podcast for the very first time. I hope that you enjoy it and that you might check out some other past episodes as well. And for those who are regular listeners, you guys rock, you're amazing, and I always appreciate the support so much. A big shout out to my incredible sponsors, inlpcenter.org offering world-class online neuro-linguistic programming and life coach training to people in over 70 countries. I'm honored to be able to receive my certifications from INLP Center and utilize their research and incredible training programs. And to daily recovery support, interactive daily group calls in a safe atmosphere for survivors of complex trauma, equipping you with the skills and information you can use every single day in your healing journey. Learn more about this affordable resource and get signed up at cptsdfoundation.org. If you find these podcasts helpful, please consider sharing, subscribing, and leaving a review on your favorite podcasting app. That would be awesome. So today, my special guest is licensed professional counselor, Sheena Tubbs. Sheena is based out of Texas and specializes in helping those who struggle with sex addiction, love addiction, and codependency, and working through unresolved trauma. During our podcast today, Sheena shares her insight on what exactly sex addiction is, as well as love addiction, sex and love addiction, and how codependency fits in to these addiction struggles. We'll also discuss what treatment and recovery can look like for these addictions, and some of Sheena's story and her own struggles that led her to a career as a therapist. So after the podcast, be sure and check out her website, SheenaTubbs.com, to learn more about her work. And if this podcast is helpful for you or someone you know who struggles in the areas of sex and love addiction, please consider sharing it. You never know what a difference it might make in somebody's life. So without further delay, let's join my chat with Sheena Tubbs right now. So hey, Sheena, welcome to Beyond Your Past. How are you? Thank you. I'm great. How are you? I am doing awesome. It's great to have you here on the show. I was on your show, of course, which I will link in the show notes. It was a great time and a wonderful experience, and I definitely encourage everybody to check it out. Before we get started, though, having you here on the show, why don't we take a minute and you can tell everybody who you are and what you're about, and then we'll jump into the podcast. Sure. So my name is Sheena Tubbs. I am a Houston, Texas native, and by trade, I'm a therapist, but I'm also a trauma recovery coach and also relationship coach, and I help women heal from toxic relationships and break patterns where they are attracted to and attract toxic relationships themselves. And so I've been doing, I've been a therapist for almost 10 years, and I have been doing this specialized work for a few years, and I love it. Awesome. So just out of curiosity, and I ask this sometimes whenever I talk with guests who are coaches and therapists or, you know, one and they used to be the other, how do you find the difference being, you know, doing your work as a coach versus a therapist? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I find therapy to be a little bit 
slower and a little bit less, um, I'll say less directive because my approach as a therapist tends to be pretty interactive. Um, um, some some of my clients who have come to me said that their experience with therapists before was that um, that they were more silent and that they just processed and that the therapist didn't say anything and that is not my style. Um, I believe in feedback. Um, however, as a coach, um, it's a little bit different in that each session we have a goal that we're working towards. We have an objective um, and there's definitely encouragement. There's definitely space that's available to you, but I want to make sure that you leave with an actionable plan. And therapy, sometimes um, sometimes the best intervention is just to allow for the person to vent and for there to not be an answer at the end. But with coaching, I, I, I make sure that's not the case. I'm with you. I think uh, interacting with a client and encouraging them and giving them feedback is just a huge part of being a coach and something that I really enjoy um, about being a coach. And, you know, as you mentioned, therapy can sometimes take a little bit longer. Sometimes there is that venting or the processing time where you just sit back and let the client air everything out and get it out of their head. And I sat in a therapist's office, I don't know how many times doing just that, just rambling on for probably almost the entire session, more often than not, mm-hmm. just brain dumping. And I found it um, ex- extremely helpful. And sometimes I left and she wouldn't say more than just a few words because I had spent the whole time talking. And you know, that is an, an extremely um, helpful part of uh, being a survivor, working with a coach and with a therapist. So I absolutely get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being able to tune in to what, the pe- what people need is a really important part. And that's also, I forgot to say that even though my specialization is working with people in toxic relationships, it's because of the understanding that people get to this place because of unresolved childhood trauma. And so to be able to get to the other side and get to the solution, we have to do the deeper work. So that's part of the package. That's exactly right. Getting into the deep work of healing our past allows us to to work with others more effectively. And I actually just covered that on, on a recent uh, podcast that recording as well. And understanding that as a therapist or as a coach, we have to make sure that we work through our own healing before we're able to effectively help others when we are a survivor, which actually leads me into uh, the first part of the podcast here. And that is, um, if you could maybe share a little bit about yourself, your story, and kind of how that uh, played out in your life as you worked towards becoming a therapist and a coach. Yeah. So um, in my family, I am one of three sisters. And so I'm considered the oldest, even though I have an older half sister, Um, but she has a different mother and she grew up apart from us. So in my household, I was the oldest. And the way that that household looked was that um, I was heavily parentified in that I had a lot of responsibility. Um, I was asked to take charge of a lot of things. Um, and, and, you know, it's difficult as a child because you are trying to figure out how do I have freedom, how do I have independence, and then to not have the ability to play and to figure out who you are and what you want is very stifling. And so... So my my parents, of course, did um, the best that they could, but there is a lot of um, childhood emotional neglect, and this is the type of trauma that I actually see the most often that's really common with most everyone, and that you grow up not really getting the uh, affirmation and the praise and the care um, emotionally that you need. And so you learn that your feelings are bad or your feelings are too much. 
Um, the way that it looks like in my household was a lot of either, I mean, with the parentification, you know, I'm parenting myself, but then also my was like, you know, be strong, you know, you got this, you don't, this isn't something to worry about. And so not really having the, the place to feel and to learn how to connect that carried on into my adult life. And so I actually had a lot of difficulty learning how to build healthy friendships and healthy relationships. And it doesn't, for me, I know for some people may present as a lot of maybe rebellion and a lot of um, maybe promiscuous behavior. But for me, there was a lot of over control. So it looks like me having a whole lot of friendships, me having a whole lot of people that I was connected to, um, really popular, well-liked, but no one actually got to know me because I learned growing up that people don't really care to know you. They care that you believe what they want you to believe, but um, my opinions were not one that were valued. So I was kind of a chameleon. I could change from person to person, from group to group, having the heavy smile. Um, But because I wasn't really grounded in myself and loving myself, it was difficult for me when it came to romantic partners, figuring out who to love and letting healthy people love me as well because I hadn't had that example before. Now, all this is hindsight. Um, The way that I got into this work was I became a therapist. And um, one of my jobs before I switched into my niche was working at a residential treatment center. And so at this center, there were people there who had addictions and might have had co-occurring mental illness, like borderline or bipolar and things like that. And so as part of their treatment program, you know, they go through the 12 steps and they have group and individual. And one of the 12-step programs that we were charged to help people go through was um, love addiction. And I remember getting the first step and, um, and I was asked to go through it with my client. And I was like, this is crap. This doesn't make sense. How can someone be addicted to love? This, this is ridiculous. And so I kind of half-heartedly went through it with them. And then, meanwhile, I'm acting out and doing my own stuff in the background. And then my mom passed away, and it completely shattered um, all the facades and all the ways that I had been coping and being a perfectionist and learning how to over-control my life up until then. And it just went out the window, and all of my love addiction qualities kind of shot through the roof. And so I went to therapy. And my therapist said, hey, have you considered um, going to a sex addiction meeting? And I was like, I'm not a sex addict. Um, I don't, (laughs) I'm not going to this place where there's people with trench coats and, you know, people (laughs) who are probably perpetrators and abusers. What do I look like? First of all, I'm a woman. Second of all, no. And so um, that didn't go for a couple months. And then I crossed another boundary in line that I said I would never do. And then I was like, okay, so tell me more about these meetings. And so I went and um, it literally, it changed, literally changed my life. Um, Up until that point, I considered myself a religious person, but the amount of connection that I found with my higher power, the amount of self-love, the clarity of what I had been doing and why and how it was all related to my previous traumas, like it it just opened the doors. And so um, 
I went through recovery for that for a couple of years, and then I said I'm ready to um, help other women get free too. And so I was doing a little bit of both. And then after that, I said, no, I want to focus on women who struggle with childhood trauma and love addiction full time. And so that's what I'm doing now. Wow, I have so many ways I could go and so many questions I could ask. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It's awesome. Um, So yeah, one of the things that uh, jumped out at me, just one of the things was you had mentioned about how you had a connection with your higher power, but then as you went through the program, that that really deepened. And I'm kind of curious if maybe you can share a little bit more about how that worked because I've I know during my um, journey, I have also connected with my higher power in a greater way, a more in-depth way, and I still do as I go along. Um, but I'm curious how that experience was for you and how it really kind of deepened your, you know, your relationship with your power. Yeah, so um, I'm not sure if I specified. So before, um, if it matters for anyone who's listening, um, I identify as Christian. Mm-hmm. And so um, I spent a lot of time. I was actually in Christian ministry and I was doing that and, you know, the hyper the hyper-religious friend, so not anyone who was especially off-putting, but definitely people knew that I was the religious girl. But even with that, I could, I remembered constantly praying and asking God to heal the wounded parts of me, saying, I'm struggling with my self-esteem. I don't love myself. This really hurts. And just trying to go by faith and just knowing that, um, you know, if I hold on and if I'm repeating scriptures and nothing formed against me shall prosper and affirmations in the form of I'm a child of God, supposedly that was going to get to that, that, that deeper place of wounding. And it never did. Um, and it actually started to push me away from my faith and from God. And, and not in that I stopped believing in God, but just feeling like, well, what's the point of praying and doing all of these religious disciplines if it's not really going to work? And so building some resentment. And what the 12-step program did for me is that it actually helped talk about what was really going on without the general platitudes, right? And so one of the issues that I have found, especially as I have grown in my career and I help people in and out of my offices, is that they come and they're able to repeat all of these positive statements, you know, all these positive scriptures, but and they try to apply it, but they don't know what wound they're trying to heal. So, for example, if I felt if I felt a pain in my in my arm, but I just tried to put ice on my chest, it's because the church taught me that if I put ice on my chest, it'll make the pain in my arm go away. But that's not really where the pain started. Like the pain started when I was in a home or when I was in a situation where someone didn't um, affirm me, when someone um, might have been insulting to me or demeaning to me, and no one specifically talks about that. But in 12 steps, you're able to kind of break all that down and say, and this is how God can help you with that, or these are things that you, like you're you're free to be resentful. You're free to have confusion. You're free to kind of explore and be open about all of those nasty, dirty um unacceptable things that in church we just have to say, well, bless God, you know, like I'm saved and praise God for his grace. And we don't actually, we're not honest, you know? And so I think because I was able to be honest and be open and to have people still love you and see you and not, and not in the way that 
we'll love you as long as we know you're getting better. No, you just said something really messed up and we're here and like there's no judgment and there's complete acceptance. You know, that was definitely one of the most healing things. And because I got that from my community, I was able to accept it from God as well. I love it. That's amazing. And um, I also uh, identify as Christian as well. So we can just say God instead of higher power since we're on the same page. Okay. (laughs) It's all good. Awesome. Um, And yeah. And so I found that, and you mentioned um, a bit about using uh, affirmations and Bible verses. Um, I found for me that affirmations can be a huge part of healing, but for me personally, and maybe you found this as well, and and it sounds like you have, is they can't just be some kind of generic, like, I'm going to heal. I feel better. I'm a positive person. I'm great. Like all these things, you have to make it personal, make it unique to you, perhaps um, Mm -hmm. incorporate some verses, as you mentioned, to really make it speak to you. And I think a lot of times there's this misconception of of affirmations that, you know, they're, they're just these generic statements. Well, if I wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to have a great day, then I should have a great day. And if I don't, then, then there's something wrong with me. When in reality, but you know, it goes a lot deeper than that. And it really takes an effort on your part to take an affirmation or to take something positive and apply it to a specific part of your life rather than just kind of doing rather than just going through the motions. Absolutely. Yeah. So Let's kind of uh, talk a little bit more now about some of your specialties. Uh, so explain to me what exactly is sex and love addiction? Are they the same? Are they different? Yeah. So I like to say sex and love addiction just because it feels more all-encompassing. Um, but there are basically maybe three different types. So there's sex addiction, love addiction, and there's sex and love addiction. But all of these, um, whatever the thing that you're addicted to, just like all addictions, whether it's alcoholism or gambling or shopping, you're doing that substance to try to self-medicate a deeper wound. So either by avoidance, either by numbing out, either by if I get enough of this, then I'll finally feel full and healed. Um, That's the same purpose for sex, love, or sex and love. And so for for sex addiction, I'll start there. Um, It is the reason why that one is more distinct is because it's, it doesn't really involve love and connection at all. So when someone is um, using pornography or when someone is using escort services or having a lot of hookups and anonymous sex, it's because they are trying to um, get filled through the power, through the control, through the high, through the rush of kind of um, the intensity of connecting with someone immediately and then um, and then hoping that that will make them feel better. But often what happens is that um, it doesn't, like it falls flat, you know, kind of like with drugs and every other substance, you know, your first high is the best and after that it it, it doesn't really measure up. So um, when someone is a sex addict, um, they do this to try to feel better, but they actually feel more shame, they feel more disconnected, and there's an inability to stop. And so... Um, and so let me just say, because I know it's been in the news, maybe not as recently, but definitely um, in the past year or two, sex addiction is different than um, sex offending. And so sex addiction might look like someone who is in a committed relationship with their husband or wife. They deeply love their husband or their wife, but they cannot stop um, having outside marital relations. Um, in the same way where you can have an alcoholic who truly loves their husband or their wife, um, but the alcohol has more control over them. And so that's what sex addiction is about. 
Love addiction is you are doing everything you can to try to get a person um, who is always unavailable to love you. And the reason why it's an addiction is because of the amount of obsession that happens. There's usually a lot of stalking. There's a lot of um, loss of control. Um, they are a person who is a love addict. It's not that, you know, most people can kind of relate to they've had one, maybe two bad relationships and they were really heartbroken and, you know, it was hard to let go. But a love addict or a love avoidant is always in toxic relationships or they start off on this really great high and um, it goes sour really quickly. Um, when a person is a love addict, they are typically attracted to a love avoidant, which looks like someone who um, is emotionally unavailable. So me, as a, when I was heavy in my love addiction, I would be attracted to men who are workaholics, who might have been sex addicts in their own right, so not able to commit to me, um, or looking always looking for something better on the outside, um, attracted to men who lived in a completely different state, and I created a whole fantasy about why it might work out. And I would literally do and be and change who I was to try to get that person. And what we find when it comes to childhood trauma is that the person that we are, quote, unquote, love addicted to or whatever our type is, is always a recreation from someone from our past. It's always a recreation from our mother or our father. And a lot of people think um, they hear that and they think, well, they talk about women who have daddy issues. And most of the time it's about mother issues because your mother is your first. Um, are supposed to be your first connection. And so if you have someone who emotionally abandons you or um, is not available, that's really traumatizing to someone. And so you spend your lifetime trying to find someone to meet that need. But because your first role models and your first templates were people who couldn't give you love in a room of 100 people, you're going to find the one person who's just like your parent. That's going to be the one that's, that you're attracted to. And when you meet someone who's healthy, it seems boring it seems uneventful, it seems like it's too easy, like you can't trust it, and so you actually push that away. And so you have to learn how to tolerate being intimate because you never learn how to be intimate with yourself. It's hard to be intimate with others. And the sex and love addiction is different than love addiction just because a sex and love addict will use sex to get the love. So they might be someone who might have a lot more sexual partners than they may like, but it's not because they're trying to get the high from sex. It's because they're trying to get someone to love them. Um, with love addiction, you don't necessarily have to be um, engaged in sexual activity to try to get someone to love you. Excellent breakdown. Thank you. I appreciate it. I was just following along and kind of nodding my head. And it is something where could also go down the road of codependency. And I'm, and I'm, I'm curious as to your take on the differences between a sex and love addiction versus being codependent. Because I would imagine perhaps some of your clients – um, would would present on both sides of that spectrum, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So every love addict or every sex and love addict is codependent by definition because a codependent person struggles with their own internal and external boundaries where they need to caretake and they need to have everything right and the relationship perfect and everyone taken care of and fixed for them to feel comfortable with themselves. And it's the there's a dismissal and a disownership of yourself, so I'm overly focused on the other person. The difference is with someone who's codependent, it doesn't necessarily have to be because of romantic connection. It doesn't have to be because you're trying to um, get them to 
to love you in the same way that you needed a parent to love you. It could just be that you grew up in a way to where you just don't have any internal boundaries. So, for example, if I'm going to, if I'm a codependent and I'm going to work and my boss gets mad at me for something and I take it really, really harshly, as a codependent, that's because I don't really know how to self-affirm. It doesn't mean that I've created this fantasy where he or she is my mother or my father figure and I really need them to accept me um, and and affirm me, right? And so um, there's a difference as far as the intent and also as, as how far it goes. With love addiction, there is a literal um, withdrawal process. and And this is where... It also helps for people to know, like, is this like a real thing? And if you can think of other people in your life. So, um, you know, I'll say, quote, unquote, normal people will go through a breakup and like it'll be really sad and they might be in bed for a long time and, you know, might find it difficult, but they can pick up and, and keep it going. For someone who has an addiction, your body goes into shutdown mode. Like you, there's, <laughs> I, I just had a client last week who told me that, um, she was vomiting, that she had a migraine, that she called into work and she never calls into work, um, that she couldn't function and that she was just crying all day. Um, that's where the impulse of the, the stalking and the harassment may happen. Um, suicidal thoughts, even suicidal attempts. It's the people where you're like, wow, girl, you just took this breakup way too far. And it's the friend that you're like, I don't understand why you can't stop. And so that's what happens with a love addict that doesn't happen with a co-defendant. Yeah. And uh, before I get into to what the uh, recovery looks like, I just want to uh, reaffirm and touch on something you said that when you are in recovery or working through any type of trauma or if it's an addiction, you know, as we're talking today about uh, sex and love addiction or it's alcohol or gambling, as you said, there is oftentimes, probably more often than many realize, a physical part of that of that healing or that recovery to where you do get physically sick or you get migraines or you get really tired or drained or you can't sleep or you can't eat. And I, I know when I was deep in healing work with a therapist and, and uh, sometimes with a coach as well, I would, I would oftentimes get physically just nauseated by having to go in and talk about this stuff or after a really deep session, it wouldn't just be that I was tired, you know, emotionally tired, but I was physically tired. I didn't want to eat. I had horrible headaches. I was just miserable. And especially, you know, when you do this deep work and you start to really take your recovery to the next level and start acknowledging everything and, and owning it and beginning to heal, it does take a physical toll on the body. I'm wondering if that's something that your clients um, see fairly often as well. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, they're all, it's a trauma response. And so, you know, what we know about trauma is that trauma lives in our bodies, it lives in our nerves. And every trauma response that we have is a function of the fight or flight response or freeze because our, our bodies can't handle it. It is it is extremely painful and it your brain sends a message of danger to your body when it has to consider leaving this person or thing or withdrawing from this person or thing that it used for comfort. So whether it's gambling or shopping or alcohol or work or in, in the case of love addiction, another person, um, when that thing is not there, 
then all of that pain from your childhood of abandonment, of rejection, of fear, of anxiety, it gets kicked up into your system and you're automatically brought back there. And it's like it's overwhelming and can't, your system can't tolerate it. And so your body responds in trying to expel what it's feeling. Um, and it's really, it's really traumatizing, like I said. So, yeah, absolutely. Everyone who does this work, um, there's really, I'm not trying to scare anybody away, but there's really no way to avoid it. You know, you have to. Like, I wish there was. I'm telling you. I, mean, I went through some deep stuff, and I'm like, this is just not worth it. Like, this sucks. Yeah. Like, I'm miserable and tired. I can't eat. I'm sick. I have headaches. And I, I, uh, I know I was just kind of thinking back, and I thought it, it was tough. And you're right. I think it's. It's on. I I don't want to say if it's like a necessary evilness, so to speak, but it's it's just part of. You're right, as you mentioned, it's a trauma response. Everything coming back into your into your mind, um, and and into your body, and it just takes time to work through it. It takes a lot of compassion. It takes a lot of patience. But there is, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, there there is hope. And over time, as you continue to to acknowledge what you've been through, to learn from it, to understand that the trauma wasn't your fault, and that it's not you aren't doomed to a life of being miserable and um, you know, having problems with self-esteem and everything that you struggle with, that there is hope. So Mm -hmm. what does recovery from sex and love addiction actually look like for somebody who, you know, they, they have reached out, perhaps they're working with a therapist. Now they understand what's happening. They understand what they've been doing. And now they're like, okay, I'm starting to work through this. So tell a little bit more about what the what the uh, recovery looks like, and and for those who are perhaps right in the middle of it, who are struggling right now. Right. So with your therapist, it will look like you going to those underlying patterns of the people that you people or situations that you are recreating in your addiction. So figuring out who is this person that I'm dating. What is what are the triggers um, that make me reach out to them? Because there's always that it's always when your negative core belief is um, is activated that you want this person or this thing to make you feel better. So core negative beliefs like I'm not enough, I am not worthy, um, there's something wrong with me, and you know the person has become the the cure. And so with your therapist, you would learn how to um, get to that root and also heal those wounds and clear those things out. Now I think where people kind of go wrong when it comes to sexual love addiction is that they may, well, one, they may not do therapy at all, but two, if they do go to therapy, that's the only thing they do. When sex and love addiction, um, these addictions are intimacy disorders. So you, you don't know how to be intimate with yourself. You don't really know who you are or what you want. You might be living kind of a double life in some ways, living with a lot of shame. Um, and so you have to figure out who you are and what you want. You have to be able to actually learn to like and love yourself because you're doing these things because there's so much self-hate. And, uh, you know, you can go to therapy all day and still not love yourself at the end of it. Like, I'm sorry to say, like, there's, there's so many ways to avoid and talk about everything else but what you need to talk about. And so... So if you only do therapy and you don't learn how to be in relationship with other people, then you're falling short because once you get into your next relationship, you're just going to recreate the same cycle. So it may look like, um, you know, if you do a 12-step program, you learn how to build relationships with people. You learn how to reach out for help to people who are not your addictive partner or exes from your past or your substance of choice. 
Um, you learn how to be seen and be vulnerable and still feel loved and accepted, which is so healing because there's a part of you that feels like you're not. Um, you learn how to create a life outside of this addiction because a lot of what it may look like is that, you know, some people present very well. You know, they're very attractive. They have a great life. They have a lot of money, but it's all because they're doing it to attract a certain type of person or have a certain lifestyle, not for themselves. And so you learn how to live for you. Um, and so everything else is, is extra. So in short, it will look like therapy for childhood trauma and then also being in community and learning how to not throw your community to the side whenever you get into a relationship, which is something else that's really common. You know, once I find my prince or my princess, I have my happily ever after. So I don't really need everybody. You know, I'm busy now. And then when it goes south and all of a sudden you, you remember that you're alone. <laughs> and then you want to reach out to people. <laughs> so it's being consistent. Man, how difficult is it to learn to love yourself? Oh my God, I can't tell you how, how many times I've struggled with that. And, you know, so many people that I work with, either in groups or in one-on-one, people who have written blog posts, people who have come on this show, um, who are, you know, who, who have been in the place where, um, you know, I have been, a place where you have been and our clients. And it's just like one of the biggest struggles is, you know, you can sit here and tell me, all day long about, you know, this is how the trauma affected me and this is why, and it's not my fault. And this is what we can do. And here's your, here's all the, here's all the uh, strategies and the affirmations and all this. But until you can come to that place where you can learn to love yourself and accept yourself and make peace. Oh my God. Like it, I think it's, I think it is really just a roadblock that holds you back until you can get to that point. Because I know it was huge for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one thing that's also, I think, important to note for any female listeners who are listening, when it comes to treating this, it is the most difficult for women, even though I think more women may identify as love addicts because we are so adept with getting a little bit of what we need and then tapping out a therapy. And so we we come we get an understanding, we get a little bit of relief, and then we feel like we've got it, and then we go back out. And so, um, and it's because we'll replace it. So we may stop dating the guy, but then we may start eating, or we may have this new desire to go back to school and improve our career, but it's all distraction. I mean, all that, all that addiction is, is just a distraction and avoidance of the pain that's underneath. And it doesn't matter what package it's in, you know, you could take something that's really good and helpful and it could become destructive in your life. And so for any any person that's listening that could relate with what, you know, we're, we're discussing today, I would really encourage them to see it through all the way, um, even when they feel like they're better until they are discharged from therapy, because there's there's always more to learn. So I'm curious, um, the last thing I wanted to bring up is you mentioned how a lot of times um, women will identify with this type of addiction. I'm, um, did, what perhaps percentage of, of men, perhaps either with your clients or maybe, is there something where with guys it's becoming more prevalent to ask for help or is this something where guys are still kind of keeping their mouth shut about it like we usually do about things? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, that's a really great question. Because what's interesting is in, in my field, and one of the things that kind of really I'm disappointed in is that there's so much emphasis, one, on sex addiction more than love addiction, and, um, and so much so to where 
men may present as sex addicts, but really they're love addicts. Um, and there's a lot of shame and there's a lot of um, misunderstanding to where people may want to try to treat them for their sexual acting out and not knowing that they're actually just looking for love. And so, um, and so something gets missed. And so you mentioned my podcast, what I've noticed, you know, there's several sex addiction podcasts out there, but I've noticed even though mine is directed now more towards women, I get a lot of male listeners who reach out to me because they say, you're the only one that's talking about love addiction and I can relate so much to this. Um, and no one's really helping me in this area. You know, my, my, my sexual stuff is just a function of me trying to feel whole. And so when it comes down to numbers, I think, I mean, I don't have actual statistics, but definitely the general consensus is that more men present as sex addicts and more women present as love addicts. But even then, there's so much stigma and socialization to where there are women who may actually feel like they're more of a sex addict. Like, I don't really care about the men or the women that I'm sleeping with. It really is just about the high and the control. But if they go to a sex addict, addict's anonymous meeting, there's more men in the room and they may not feel comfortable. And then they might go to a therapist with their own bias and, and judgments and get um, get um, demeaned or get um, dismissed and, you know, judged there too. So um, I would say... I, that's why I talk more about love addiction when I talk about women, because also there's a lot of shame and stigma about being sexual creatures. And so women don't really, from what I've seen, women are more willing to talk about this if we talk about the love aspect versus what they're doing in the bedroom, because it makes them feel like they're bad or that they're broken and that no one would ever want them. And so um, I try to approach it in the most open and non-offensive way as, as I can. I'm not sure if that answered your question. No, it does. And I, I just think it's interesting because as a, as kind of a general rule of thumb or for lack of a better term, us guys will usually clam up and not say anything for fear of being embarrassed or stigmatized or, you know, just because we don't understand that there is help available. And, you know, for any, any, any number of reasons, not the least of which is that guys are often taught to just suck it up and deal with it and, you know, fix your own problems and, you know, don't be weak and all this kind of stuff. So I'm glad that there are, you know, more and more guys who are reaching out to you who are listening to your show. Hopefully we can reach some men as well here with this show. And I'm just, I'm glad that you were able to come on today, Sheena, and share some of your, your expertise, your knowledge. And I'd love to, to dive into more of the specifics on a future call with you. Yeah, I love that. Excellent. Thank you. Well, why don't we wrap it up? You can tell everybody where to find you if they're interested in working with you and all that good stuff. Yeah. So you can find me at SheenaTubs.com. Sheena spelled with one E and Tubs is spelled with two Bs. Um, And you can learn about coaching and coursework. The main way that I really encourage people to begin um, this process is my foundation course called the 90 Day Cure. And that's because we usually suggest 90 days for people just to take a break from relationships, take a break from all their acting out behaviors and start digging into where this all started to start create their own life, to start to actually start to love themselves. And so I put all of what I teach people, all of my framework into one course. And I, um, and I coach people live throughout it as well. And so if you're interested in that, you can go to the90daycure.com 
and sign up there. And then, of course, my podcast is called Love Junkie. So um, as you're kind of learning more about sex and love addiction or if you have questions, I get a lot of emails and comments from listeners about how helpful it is. And so I really suggest for you to check that out as well. Thanks for listening to Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Information shared on this podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes only and is not a substitute for or supersedes professional medical help or mental health counseling. Thank you again to my sponsors, inlpcenter.org and Daily Recovery Support. I hope you'll consider checking them out as they've joined forces to help keep the lights on here at the podcast and help Beyond Your Past reach as many as possible with a message of hope. If you'd like to learn more about working with me as your coach, or if you're curious about what life coaching is and how it might be right for you, then head on over to beyondyourpast.com and claim your free one-hour session where we can talk about the struggles in your life in the areas of anxiety and trauma recovery and see if coaching might be a great fit for you. Thanks again for listening, and I do hope that you'll subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and share it with all your friends. See you next time.